Welcome to the Word of Life podcast, a ministry of Word of Life Church, located in Lesueur, Minnesota. From sermon audio to midweek content and much more, we hope you are blessed by what you hear. For more information or to donate, please visit wordoflifemn.com. Now, enjoy this week's episode. We, um, we are starting a new series today called, What Do You Expect? And um, first I got to find my, uh, my, Bible, my Bible verses. What do you expect? And in, for the next few weeks, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about relationships. And we all have relationships. Uh, we've got relationships in our home, whether it's your relationship with your spouse or a relationship with your kids or the relationship with your parents. Um, and you've got relationships in your workplace, the people that you, uh, you know, rub shoulders with every day. You've got relationships with, with people in, um, in school, the people who you go to classes with or this, that, and the other thing. There's relationships with people at church, whether you're on your online campus or at the New Prague campus or Lesueur campus, Word of Life, you guys have relationships with each other. Some might seem a little like distant relationships because you're like, what's their name? Man, I know they always sit on that side. Oh, uh, and don't act like you don't do it because everybody does it. <laughs> We've got relationships with people at in the community. Maybe it's your neighbor or something like that. You've got relationships with people who are close. You've got relationships with people who are further away. We all have relationships. All need help. Even though we were created to be in relationship, the truth is that we struggle in those relationships. And one of the reasons why we struggle in our relationships is because we are all selfish little sinners who sin, you know, and it's not even always intentional. We're selfish little sinners who are loved by God because you are loved, who are promised forgiven of forgiveness. You are forgiven. We're, we're selfish little sinners who are valued by God and most of the time by each other. And so as we look at all of these relationships that we have, one of the key ingredients to helping our relationships be a little healthier is to learn how to apologize. <laughs> Sometimes we just have to say, I'm sorry. I messed up. It also helps if you say, I'm sorry, I messed up, instead of saying, I'm sorry, you messed up. <laughs> <laughs> that's not an apology. If you start pointing fingers and be like, hey, I'm sorry, but you messed up. <laughs> that's not an apology. That's not a confession. That's something else. 
And as I think about like all of these relationships that we have, our first relationship is with God. Our number one relationship, our first relationship with, is with God because he's the one who made us. It says in the Psalms that, that God knit us together in our mother's wombs. It's incredibly personal. It, our first relationship is with, is with God because he is the creator. He is the giver of life. Think about the first people. Adam and Eve. God made everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created light. And where there isn't light, there's darkness. He formed the planet. He spoke it into existence out of nothing, ex nihilo. He spoke through the mouth of Jesus Christ into existence everything that we have. Grass, fruit trees, all the food that was necessary for humanity. And he looked at it and he said, oh, it is so good. And then he scooped up some of that dirt that he made. And he molded it into the shape of a man. And then God breathed life into that man. <sighs> he picked up that man and he laid him in the garden which he had prepared, planted with all of the trees that he needed for food. And then he woke him up. And Adam was a living man. And God gave him a job. He said, here's the deal. I gave you this great garden. And I'm not talking like backyard garden. You know, sometimes when you think of garden, you're thinking of like, you know, I'm thinking of like Yunkins and they're out there and they, they got the, you know, the garden going on and they got, I, I regularly get tomatoes from them during a certain season of the summer. I love it. You know, uh, we're not talking like backyard garden. We're not even talking like, uh, like some of the, the finest gardens in France, like at Versailles. No, 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 no. When, when God says garden, He's talking garden. It's got a giant river that divides into other rivers. This is a garden. This is like Yellowstone and Yosemite combined. This is a big garden. And it's all planted for Adam. And he gives him this job. Your job is to take care of this garden. Oh, and I got one more thing for you to do. I need you to na name all of the animals. Big job. Now, thankfully, he didn't like, have to like, track them all down. You know, but God brought to Adam all of the animals. And whatever he named them, that was their name. And as he's naming the animals, I'm wondering if he maybe noticed some detail. Male, female, male, female, male, female, male, female, male. <laughs> As he was doing this, God saw him and he realized 
this guy needs help. Seriously, that's what it says. If you look, at, if you look a little bit in, in Genesis chapter 2, it says in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Not good that this guy should be alone. You see, from the very beginning, God created people to be in relationship. Not good for us to be alone. Some of you might be looking at me, and I'm getting a couple of like strange sideways glances like, I don't know, I kind of enjoy my alone time. (laughs) Not good for Adam to be alone. So God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. Let me read it to you from, from, from Genesis. It's not going to be up here yet because that's, but I, I just, I love hearing it. The Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and he closed the place up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. Same thing. He molded that flesh into the shape of a woman breathed the breath of life into her, placed her in the garden, and then woke up the man again. And the man said in verse 23, Whoa! No, it's not in there. Just kidding. (laughs) It says, the man said, this is at last. It's like, at last. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. We were quite literally created for relationship. And as you can tell, we need help. We need help. And if you don't think you need help, you need help. I don't know how long the time period was. I don't know how long Adam and Eve were like, you know, taking care of the garden and naming the animals together. But the next thing that happens is sad. And you know, because you have relationships, hard things happen in relationships, even in a perfect relationship. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 or your iPads or the Bible on your phone, or you can look right up here. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, reading in Jesus' name because it's God's word, not mine. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, pause, 
I don't think, my opinion is, I don't think that Adam and Eve had been, you know, just had been there a really long time because she's talking to a serpent. She obviously hadn't been there long enough to know that that isn't normal. Either that or the serpent is the nickname for Satan, and he appeared to her in another form. We don't know, but we do know what the scriptures say, and they call him the serpent, and that is Satan. And the woman said to the serpent in verse 2, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden or in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. This is kind of a problem. We don't have any idea why, uh, why, what Eve was thinking or whatever, or, you know, or why she would say this, but she, she adds to God's law or God's word. God said, don't eat of that tree. Eve says, don't eat it. Don't touch it or else you're all going to die. That escalated quickly. We have this tendency sometimes to create extra rules. Like God makes this rule. He says, hey, don't eat that tree. And then we come along and say, don't eat it. Matter of fact, don't touch it. Don't even go near it or else we're all going to die. We could do that same thing within our household, within our other relationships. We can create these extra rules. And it gets us into a little bit of trouble. But the serpent, verse 4, said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and he ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate Satan is a liar. I don't talk a lot about Satan. I don't like to give him airtime. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. He is not in all places at one time. He is not all powerful. He is not the yin to God's yang. That is not true. He is not like God's polar opposite. He is a creature and a fallen angel who sinned. That's it. He can't be everywhere all at once. And so if you are prone to say that, you know, the devil made me do it or Satan, you know, was tempting you, the truth is it's probably not. He's a very limited being. He's just a liar. Oh, and by the way, I'll speak for myself. I'm just a guy who lives south of Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm not that big of a deal. I'm... I am not a big deal. The thought that the one and only Satan is somehow spending time and attention tempting me just doesn't seem realistic. I just don't have that much influence. I'm not important. Satan, part of his lie because of his persona, is to make himself bigger and more powerful than he really is. A matter of fact, this lie that he tells to Eve right here, you will not surely die. That's a lie. Yes, she will. 
may not be immediate, but she's going to surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Well, part of that's true. Their eyes do get opened. And I suppose there is this sense in which they do get to know the difference between good and evil. Because as soon as they sin, they look at themselves and they're ashamed. And they know they did something evil. The sin wasn't really focused on the fruit. The sin was doubting God's word. Did God really say? Denying God's word, God said, had one basic instruction. Don't eat from the fruit from this tree. But... Eve looked at that tree and said, man, that looks really good. The fruit was desirable. The, you know, the whole idea of being like God and knowing good from evil. Well, God's a really great guy who wouldn't want to be like God. I want that, so I want the fruit. And so she took of it and she ate. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her. I have no idea what he was doing this whole time. I imagine that he, again, this is the other reason why I think that they hadn't been in the garden together real long, because I think that he was just standing there looking at her like, wow, she's pretty. And everything else around him is just going over his head, like he's not thinking about anything else. That is not in the Bible, to be clear. I have no idea what he was doing. But he was there, and he was with her. And so she, she gave him some fruit too, and he's just eating fruit. And then in verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. One sin. One sin. And immediately they're ashamed. And it damages their relationship. Immediately, they're, they're covering themselves up. <laughs> and then they run and hide. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They knew that they, were, they had sinned. They knew that they had messed up. They knew that they had done something wrong. And so what are they going to do? They're going to go play hide and seek. They're just going to go hide. God's the one who does the seeking. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the sound of the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam has no idea that he's confessing. He has no idea. 
God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. This is the worst confession I've ever heard. It's like that meme with the Spider-Man, like pointing the, you know, fingers in two directions. He's like, the woman, her fault, who you gave me, so it's partially your fault too, God, gave me the fruit and I ate. I guess you could call the ending part kind of a confession-ish, but there's an awful lot of blaming going on. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now that is a whole lot more of a confession. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. That's a confession of faith. There are consequences to sin. The consequences within their relationship from the very beginning. Adam's blaming Eve. Adam's blaming God. Eve's confessing. They're covered. They're covering themselves. They're ashamed. They're hiding. And that's what happens in our relationships too. We sin. We cover it up. We sin. We hide. We don't take responsibility. We're like, no, 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 no. I don't want anybody to know about this. We make excuses. We point the finger and blame somebody else. And there are consequences. God goes through and he says, here's the consequences for your sins. There's going to be trouble in their relationship. It's right in, it's right in the scriptures. Because you have done this, uh, well, he said, first he says to the serpent, because the serpent's got some really bad consequences. He's already fallen. He's in really not in a great relationship with God in the first place. You know, the whole sin thing really got in the way. Um, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field, your belly, on your belly you shall go, and the, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I don't know what he looked like before, but that doesn't sound good. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that right there is a tiny little hint of Jesus. That one of Eve's offsprings will be the Savior. God says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I will multiply your pain in childbearing. 
And all the women who have had children said, Amen. Amen. And your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Part of the consequences of sin, and we all have sin, is that we don't always want the same thing. Husbands don't always want the same thing as wives. Friends don't always want the same thing as other friends. Our our desires, the things that we want, are contrary to each other. Why? Because we're selfish. And he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. That was just the command, just you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Yeah, sin impacts even the dirt. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Farming is hard work. I am not a farmer. I've gardened a couple of times. That's hard enough for me. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Ah, that's the biggest consequence. The consequences of sin is death. The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. The consequences of sin is death. And the first death was the animals that God sacrificed to make clothing for Adam and Eve. We see these things, and I was thinking of, uh, as I was thinking about this series, I was thinking about a, a book that I've read multiple times. If you guys, this part is for the married people. If you guys are married or thinking about getting married and you're looking for an, uh, a book to read, What Did You Expect uh, by Paul David Tripp is, uh, is, is really interesting. And it will bring up a lot of questions for you in your relationship. Um, but what he says early on in the book is he says, at some point, you, you will be selfish. Can we agree with that? That at some point in any of your relationships, you will be selfish. Correct? Yes. Selfish. Anybody who says, no, nope, not me, you're being selfish. In some situation, you will speak unkindly. There will be a moment of jealousy, bitterness, and conflict. You will not avoid this because you are a sinner and you are married to a sinner. If you minimize the heart struggle that both of you have carried into this relationship, here's what will happen. You will tend to turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. So what do we do? God loves you. Just like he loved Adam and Eve. And so regardless of the relationship that you have, You will sin. You'll sin against each other. You'll sin unintentionally. And it will impact your relationship. But God. But God seeks you out. 
He comes looking for you and he calls out to you, where are you? Where are you? Hey, where are you? And God continues to call out to us through his word, calling to us in the midst of all of our relationships and even in the midst of our sin, he calls out to us and he comes to us because he loves us. And his desire is to mend relationship. And the first relationship that he wants to mend is our relationship with him. First John says this in chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He is perfect. He is glorious. There is no sin in him. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. If we say that we have a relationship with him, that we're in fellowship with him, right? While we're just doing our own thing, hiding in the darkness, covering our shame, we're just lying. And we don't really have a relationship with him. We're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light, out in the open, right with God, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, relationship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So if instead of covering our sin and hiding you know, when we've sinned, if we... Come into the light with God. And he restores our relationship with him. He then goes about restoring our relationship with one another. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we're looking at our own lives and we're saying, oh, I haven't sinned. Man, have you seen how good I am? We're just lying to ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he's faith, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Great memory verse. So the first relationship was with God. And so we go before God and we, we confess our sins. Lord, we've, we've sinned against you in, our, in the things that we've said, the things that we've done, the things that we've thought, the things that we've not done, not said, not thought. And God, he is faithful. He keeps his promise to forgive us because Jesus Christ has already died on the cross and he's already paid for each and every one of those sins. And so... You are forgiven. That's why we have these around. You are forgiven. And Jesus Christ, through his blood, we are washed completely clean from every single sin. That's our relationship with God, our first relationship. Then we relate to one another. And the way that we do that is a very a mirror image as to what we do with God is when we have messed up 
and you will. You may have already today. I have no idea what happened on your way to church today or as you were trying to get into the car. I understand from some people that's a tense, you know, a tense time of the day. <laughs> Most of the time I travel by myself, so the only person that I argue with is me. Why didn't you get to the car faster? I don't know. Why didn't I? <laughs> You may have already sinned against someone in a relationship with you today. You may have said something critical. You may have been not thoughtful. You may have just outright, you know, said something really not kind. You may have lied. I mean, I don't need to go on all of the sins that we could commit against each other. That would take us a really long time. And I didn't bring lunch. Although I can't wait for a sandwich. <laughs> Apologize. And not apologize like, like Adam, like, well, I know I may have messed up, but have you seen what everybody else did? And start blaming everybody. The woman you gave me, no, no, no. When we apologize, we just confess. And it's one of the best things we could do for any of our relationships, whether it's a relationship, you know, a marriage relationship, a family relationship, a relationship with your kids, with your parents. Yes, parents, please feel free to apologize to your, your kids when you sin against them. I know you do because I did a lot. Apologize to your friends. Apologize to your parents. Yes, kids, I know that you sin against your parents. Apologies are good for everybody. I'm sorry. I messed up. It's even better if you could be specific. I'm sorry. I lied. I'm sorry. I was critical. I'm sorry. I said something hurtful. Please forgive me. Maybe you think this sounds really basic. And maybe it is because literally it's been happening since the beginning of time. The first relationship needed some apologies. Here's the good news He is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that going to fix all of, your, all of your relationships? No. Relationships take work because two sinners are connecting with each other in some way. First relationship is with God. Second relationship is with each other. Confess our sins. Receive forgiveness. Apologize and confess your sins. Receive forgiveness. Amen? Amen? Hey, I love you guys. Talking about relationships can sometimes be hard. That doesn't mean don't come for the next two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I forgive you. 